from Post Media, I'm Ewan Plater and this is XY, a show about mental health in men. Hello and welcome back to XY. On today's episode, I'll be catching up with Matt Johnson, TV presenter and mental health advocate and all around great guy. My chat with Matt got super deep, way deeper than I thought I was going to get. And I actually found him incredibly eloquent on the topic of mental health, especially when he was talking about his own story, which I'm sure you'll agree is super emotional, but I'll leave him to talk about that. Um, I guess the only other thing that I would say about Matt is that I've been a big fan of him for a long, long time. Um, I've always found him hilarious on Instagram. I've always found him super honest to listen to and to watch. Um, So it was a real pleasure to be able to actually sit down and catch up with him um, for the show. If mental health is something that you enjoy reading about, discussing, engaging with, then I would thoroughly encourage you to go follow him on Instagram today. And of course, go check us out at Post Media. Enjoy the show. And tell me more about this. Yeah, 100%, mate. Um, So XY, a show about mental health in men, launched it last summer. The show started because it was something that I was thinking a lot more about in terms of why guys don't talk. Um, Mm -hmm. And also just became very acutely aware um, that suicide was the biggest killer of young men. And I kind of got really hung up on this, this idea that the most likely thing to kill me was me. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it was this kind of weird concept that actually the thing that was most likely to kill me was me. And that was I couldn't get over that internal, I don't know, discussion. Um, yes. No, I've never I've never gone there. You know, like I've never reached that place. But it's it was one of those things that the realization of the severity of the problem combined with some pretty interesting chats um, with friends just led mm-hmm. me to be like, cool, this, this is the show that I want to make. This is the conversation that, that I'd like to have. Um, yeah. And it's been really cool. It's really interesting. I think um, especially the conversation between men about men, um, yeah. it feels like it's such a taboo subject for everyone, men, women. Uh, it feels like whenever I do it, and uh, my last pod- podcast, we concentrated all on men in the last series. And whenever I talk to men on lives, I get so many more messages from women and men just yeah. saying how important that conversation is. It feels like, as you will know, like it's so sensitive. Yeah. It feels like when people started coming out as gay, you know, years, years ago, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a big coming out yeah. uh, when a man talks, not just about his mental health, just talks about something that, they would normally perceive as being vulnerable, that conversation, that, that vulnerable conversation. So yeah, I, can, I can understand your, your fascination with it because it's, it really feels like it's just this first page of a yeah. long book, many, chat, many books about men's mental health. And to be honest, like, I wouldn't call it, I definitely don't think I was arrogant about it, but I always had this, I don't know, in early 20s through to today, I've always had this kind of weird um, inability to understand why it would affect me, right? Because masculinity is not something I've ever bothered with. Like being the strongest, toughest, manliest guy in a room. Like we're, you don't know me, um, but if you did, you would know that 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 shit just isn't me. Like I'm not the I'm not yeah. the machismo type, right? And yet I still would get hung up on some of these old school codes of what it means to be a man. And talking about my problems was definitely one of those. Like I had two parents who loved me, never expected anything of me. Like there was no pressure for me to be anything other than who I am. Um, mm. Great friend circle, happily married, got a lovely beetle. So why the hell am I still hung up on this bullshit, you know? And the fact that that was yeah. so inbuilt to me um, 
kind of like societally, yeah, to your point, made me think, right, there's something at play here that's telling men that they can't, um, they can't be this vulnerable. They can't open up, you know? Yeah, and, and it's many different things, isn't it? Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of work on this on myself. Um, not necessarily the, the vulnerability element. So that's, that's a huge chapter in its own right. But just what language, how I speak to myself about certain issues uh, and situations in my own mind. And the, the big work that I've been doing recently in therapy is unraveling where that's come from. And it could be something that somebody said while we were watching a TV program. So one of my things was that I was really afraid of, scared of projecting or peacocking for fear of judgment. And people yeah. thinking, oh, what a wanker, what a show off. Yeah. And it really held me back a lot in my career, in my life, you know, that, that even that, booking guests for a podcast it takes me a week to pick up the courage just in case they say no whereas they're my friends most of the time and they're gonna say yes and i know that but i have this voice that's telling me you're gonna you're gonna make a mistake here and it's gonna go terribly wrong and they're gonna say no and they're all gonna laugh at you and that is such a wide massive thing and and it comes from societal comments like watching watching tv show with the boys in my friend's house and then seeing somebody on like pop idol and then going, oh, what a puff, bro wanker. Look at him showing off. And then inside of me, I, I didn't even recognize that. But subconsciously, I've gone, oh, don't do that then if the boys are going to be doing that. Yeah. And every single time I do something or tweet or Instagram or anything, there's about four or five people that I'm trying to impress or not to disappoint or not to show off in front of. And getting rid of all that has been an incredible process for me. But like you say, it's 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 so many different layers that we put onto ourselves subconsciously consciously you know the big thing is for me is people living a somebody else's purpose so you have people who have trained as doctors you've got to work really hard to be doctors uh, (laughs) to be a doctor and they've only they've done it they've got it and they're there and they hate it it's just because they've done it because they would impress their parents yeah Uh, because their parents said one thing when they were a kid maybe yeah. You know, like, you know, just be a doctor or something. Don't be a uh, washout like your, your Uncle Pete who's done nothing <laughs> with his life. And, and then in your 30 and you're like, fuck, I'm trained to be a doctor. This is all I've ever done. Or I've become a rugby player or I've become this person you wanted me to be. And then you say to your parents, I've never wanted to do this. This is your fault. And your parents are like, when did I say that? I can't yeah, remember right. saying that. I was being and a good these, parent telling you to go to university. I was, just, yeah. I was 23. I don't fucking know what I was doing. And I think that's really lovely because, yeah. you know, I hold so many things close to me. What my parents say, what ex-girlfriends have said, people have influenced, people in films who influenced me. I used to love the WWF wrestling. You know, yeah. that's not, they're not good role models, those wrestlers, but whatever Hulk Hogan said kind of went. Yeah, and it stuck with me because I'm still that 12-year-old <laughs> kid. We're all still that 12-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking our vitamins are going to save our lives and there's nonsense. And, and it's so interesting to unravel all of that, to go back and go, you know, when you go back to your, your family or whatever you say, when you said this, it really affected me. It's made me make decisions, big decisions in my life, bad and good. Mm-hmm. And then when they say, I can't remember saying that, mate, I'm really sorry. But yeah, like, um... I was in my 20s and I didn't know what I was saying and I was blagging everything. So don't listen to me, I'm an idiot. It's like, oh, God. Um, I find it, I just find all of that so fascinating. That's personally something I'm definitely um, unraveling myself at the moment. 
Yeah, I think I really, um, it was one of my like fake aunties, you know, those people that have been around since day one, but they're not related to you. They're just best pals with your mom or something. Yeah. Um, and one of my fake aunties, Anne, Auntie Anne, I think my mom said to her, I'm really worried I mess his life up. I think as any parent would be, you know, you're worried that you're going to be a bad parent and all the rest of it. Um, and she said, I'm really worried that I mess him up the way that my mom messed me up. And I'm like, oh, don't fucking worry about that. You're going to find brand new ways to mess him up. And I think that's so true of any kind of parent. <laughs> is that yeah. in an attempt to avoid doing this over here, you're definitely going to fuck your kids up in some completely different way. And that's par for the course, you know? Yeah, because the, the, in the, well, that's absolutely right in the sense that you, you can over mollycoddle your kids and you can under mollycoddle. Both are going to have an effect on your child in some sort of psychological way. And it's going to make them have make decisions based on their environment and their upbringing. Yeah. And and the, I think the importance of that, like I am um, the closest I'm going to be to be a parent is going to be a stepdad. I've got a, uh, a stepson who's Maybe. twelve, and and it's so important what words come out of your mouth, almost yeah. to the point where you think I'm just going to say nothing. I just mm-hmm. I don't know what to say here. And when you value that, and when you try and just have a relationship, which I'm trying to to be somebody who's just giving advice, not telling him what to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and like to be that, I'm like a cool uncle in a way, but a bit weird, a weird yeah. uncle, a cool uncle, silly dick, that type of thing. <laughs> um, and I take the weight and pressure off and just go like, people will find their own way and you can't help but have an influence. And it might be a negative um, yeah. subconscious influence at some point, but like parents, where's the guidebook? Where's the guidebook to oh, give your, 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 your kids the right information, the right guidance? It's just impossible. It's also super stressful, right? Because we don't have kids. Me and my wife don't have kids. Um, but we, we're visiting um, family, right? So we're seeing our nieces, my wife's sister's kids. Um, and I was reading one of them, A Bedtime Story. And that's like so normal, you know, like she goes to bed, she gets a story. I picked one off the shelf, Cinderella, super safe territory. Cinderella has a stepmom. And for whatever reason on this night, I could just see her little eyes ticking over, trying to work out why a stepmom is different to a mom. And within three yeah. questions, I was in super deep territory about like, <laughs> like why does she have a stepmom? What happened to a real mom? Is a stepmom the same thing? Um, mm. And yeah, to your point, there's no guidebook to being a parent. And these aren't even my kids. I've been in the house all of three hours and already I'm like, fuck, I'm going to ruin this child's life by like imparting some <laughs> wisdom onto her about, the concept of a family it's, structure it's a minefield isn't yeah. it and the mess and what i was talking to my friend the other day on on my instagram lives i was checking in with him and uh, he's just had a newborn baby and he said something really profound he's, he's like i just couldn't stop looking because he's just so pure there's no judgment or layers or anything it's just I was like, it's a blank canvas. It's, there's nobody's born. Everybody's born absolutely the same. Yeah. And then whatever environment they're in and whatever belief system their parents have, et cetera, will affect their mentality. Yeah. And, and I think that for me really helps with a lot of things. It helps me definitely with compassion. Even the worst people in the world that I have an, a, a, the occasional argument with on Twitter, you know, they usually have a flag in their name. Yeah. Um, it's the environment it's, it's, it's a belief system that's been instilled in people you know like uh, I think he said at the time oh his father didn't really understand 
mental health and would say, oh, just, you know, we'll just snap out of it. What's wrong with people? Whining type thing. And I was like, well, you know, it's just, that's how, well, how we was brought up. That's just a mentality that lots of people had, you know, yeah, it's, totally. it's, uh, it's just an education um, thing. And, and that really stood out for me. Like a newborn baby is just ready and it's inevitable to be layered up with information to build that person that they're going to be complete product of their environment and their circumstance and totally yeah totally. and the unconscious stuff that's got me thinking i'm thinking about that all day it is the stuff that you've heard and listened to and said probably you know it's the things that you've participated in that are now impacting you massively in later life that you've never even considered and unpacking that is a journey oh it's it's been the biggest thing for me i think in the last in this year actually is unpacking. Um, I, I've been working on my mental health now for definitely 10 years, but intensively ex- the exploration of my mind to understand everybody else's uh, via so many different holistic routines and rituals and lots of, lots of different ways. I've been around the block, lots of dead ends. And in the last six months, I've realized that there was a lot that I had to unpick. There was lots of resentment and anger and lots of subconscious me telling myself I wasn't good enough or, mm. you know, holding myself back. And I said to my therapist, it was, um, I said, look, I'm self-sabotaging. Whenever I go and do something really good, I just want to not ruin it, but I, I always do things that hold me back mm. and that set me back. So if I'll have a really good productive three, four weeks, and then I'll have a blowout on the booze and then I'll eat badly and it feels like I'm wrecking that situation for a week or so. And I go back a few steps. And she really interestingly said to me, change the language on that. I don't like the word uh, self-sabotage. It's self-protection. You're protecting yourself. Subconsciously, your brain is saying, you're gonna, what, what if you fail? Don't try. Don't yeah. succeed. Because my, my idea of catastrophe is failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is failure then? And what does it mean to you? Why, why do I have such a massive, heavy weight of failure on my shoulders? What's the worst that can happen? Except, for example, yeah. And it's all the judgment, all the embarrassment, all those things. And it's because it goes back to you being that twelve-year-old kid, and and you're afraid to do stuff, you know. And subconsciously at that time, I think I come from a very working-class area. Um, I was always around that kind of environment with friends and, you know, that macho environment where um, if you're a singing show off, people aren't going to like you. You're going to be judged. You're going to be seen as lesser Mm. than than a man. Um, And even if you aspire to do stuff, even if you put your hand up in class and said the right answer, you're a SWAT and you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be great. You shouldn't try and all those things, you're still 12. I was, I'm still 12 years old. Yeah. And all those things are still in my mindset. So subconsciously, I'm trying to, I was trying to pull myself back into a spot of comfort and safety, not self-sabotage, not hating myself. It's a part of me that's trying to protect me. Like and I found yeah. that so liberating. And that, that new way of perceiving why you do that is helping you with the process of not doing that or how do how do the two interact well the, the process is for me to have the confidence i went and going i need small confidence i need to i've got some big jobs and big work and big goals that i want to do 
and small things and I want to just be good and I, I want to have consistency and I want to have that confidence to be consistent. And it's really interesting to compartmentalize those thoughts. So, yeah. for example, you know, that, that subconscious thought saying, um, don't do that. So if, if, if I have some a really good week of like meditation, I, I set up my goals and I go, I want to do this. By in a few hours, my brain's going, don't do it. You're going to fail. Yeah. It's going to go wrong. You're going to be an embarrassment. And then look at that type of voice in your head. And I've learned to go, oh, thank you for trying to protect me. You know, you, you, you think of it as like a thing on your shoulder or, or like mm-hmm. a part of you, just trying to keep you safe and trying to, because it knows how, how, how much you, I fear failure and, wow. and judgment. And since knowing it's there and it's there to help me, that, that subconscious thought, it helps me push forward. So I still go through the process. I still have an idea and I, still, I go, right, I'm going to do this, this TV show. I'm going to do it. Uh, and it all works. I've got all the people lined up. I know how to produce and I've got all the camera equipment and all the stuff. It'll work. It's a good idea. I know in a few hours' time, I'll be talking myself out of it yeah. and I'll, and I'll want to have a drink or something to kind of like stop my brain from being too active. Yeah. And, and I go, you know, it's part of the process. It's very much the similar type of process of overcoming nerves before a gig or a rugby match or something. Yeah. Rugby players, footballers, musicians, they all have a process of whether it's a ritual or something to get them into that mindset. And that's something I've been exploring is that, is that ritual and that process, the tools I need to say, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to talk me out of this to protect me. I'm just going to go for a nice walk and I'm going to continue to be inspired by this idea. Never, ever looked at it like that before. That's super fascinating. Because that's the journey to get to the start line, right? That's not even doing the thing. That's just, that's just yeah. the process to set yourself up to actually do it. Rather, and, yeah. and, and potentially fall short, you know? It's to kind of roll the dice and try and not so, know if it works. I've lived my entire life. I left school and when I was 16. I worked in TV for 20 years. I have always stepped forward and gone into areas without fear and they've been successful and sometimes they've failed, but I've always kept on going. For some reason in the last 10 years, um, there's possibly an element of rejection I've had from certain broadcasters and stuff that's put this lack of confidence into me. And from experience, it's always the stepping into it is the best bit. The doing mm-hmm. it is fine because you, you can do it. And that's the yeah. easiest part almost. And sustaining it's also difficult, but the, the thought process, the imagination, the fantasy of like, I'm going to do this. Like 10 years ago now, nearly 10 years ago, 10 years ago, next month, I had a bad day at a, as being a journalist at ITV Wales News. And I decided to, on the spot, send my stuff to this morning and to try and get work there because I, I looked at Gino messing around with Holly and Phil. And I was like, that looks like fun. <laughs> I just covered my mate's death with news and I was like fuck that I'm going to go and do something fun and in that moment I had no fear I just did my show reel in like an hour sent it got it they were like when are you next in London I was like Thursday went to see them and I was on this morning it's three weeks later oh. and it all happened really quickly but I didn't have time to talk myself out of it yeah you just like went. now the process sometimes I can talk myself out of things and and it's just my process and it's really really interesting and it's simply because of self-protection yeah that's amazing, man. Because I guess, like, I think the vulnerability that you show actually disarms um, 
disarmed me in a big way, right? So because every time I've got one of these interviews, the night before, my process will be to just watch a bunch of footage, read a bunch of articles, take a bunch of notes, and just try and distill that down into like some key topics that I want to discuss. But every time I go to do that, it's super nerve-wracking, right? And what I've found time and time again, because you want you want the interview to be a success, you want the podcast to be a success, you want mm. people to listen. And you, to your point, you don't want it to be a failure, right? No. What I find with you was actually, it was super disarming and comforting that I was able to watch you being quite open about who you were, right? And then I was like, oh shit, he's not going to be a dickhead to me on air. Like, that's totally fine. <laughs> like, I don't have to worry about this going shit. And I yeah. find that in my personal life as well. Like, even if it's a stranger, if you're vulnerable and open with them, then actually it makes the conversation way easier because nobody's trying to impress <sighs> each other, you know? That, that 12-year-old kid, you're like, oh shit, this kid, he's not going to call me a poof. We're friends. Like, this is fine. We're yeah, totally going to get yeah. on okay. When you truly see somebody for who they actually are and you cut the bullshit and small talk and you do the same, it's beautiful. That's true connection. That's mm. what we're all about. Small talk is nonsense. Like I, I, don't know, I was sitting here um, a couple of days ago and there's a painter that's helped us paint and he's coming, he's two meters away and all that. And um, we just had this really lovely conversation about mental health and yeah. something that mattered about him uh, towards him. Instead of going, cup of tea, yeah, football. Yeah we just had a conversation and I saw him properly and he saw me properly and it was undoubtedly going to be absolutely fine. When it comes down to it, nobody either gives a shit or they really do give a shit and they like it that you've had a try. Mm-hmm. And if, if in, and it's one of the big things about social media at the moment, like, you know, if somebody spends their time looking at other people's messages and then feels like they have the time to say something negative or, or shitty about that. If you're afraid of that person saying something shitty, don't, because they are not in a good place to be able to do that. And that the, the person that I've done it, I've done it. I've, I've, I've seen somebody write something recently about the government statistics. You know, apparently they're doing a good job. And I was like, no, no way. But I was in a bad mood. So I was like, fuck no. And I, and I, and I, and I basically trolled somebody and I was like, I shouldn't have done that. Because what you that's yeah. just yes, I'm just venting on that person. I don't care about that person. I, I no. don't. I don't want that person to think I'm that bad person. It's just me in a bad state of mind in that moment, and that helps so much with compassion towards lots of people's negative judgment. Like yeah. you know, but the reality is, the reality is, like we do live in a world where it does matter. Um, and it's very easy to say people's opinions don't matter. Screw judgment. Yeah, I want to live in a world with no judgment. You're going to live in a world of judgment. People yeah. always judge. I still do it. And totally interestingly, am. what you said about when you see somebody and you have an authentic conversation, it's easy. It's fine. And when you have deep conversations, it's, it's going to be fine because you're both vulnerable. You're both on the same level. It connects you perfectly. Um, one of the interesting things, I went on to a retreat last year called Men Without Masks. And um, it was all, the first few hours, it was all about getting rid of that judgment and that pretense and all that. And it was so fascinating. Um, we had to look each other in the eye. Yeah. And, and for a minute, I would ask that one person, what do you see in me? And they would be honest. And they, and they would be at the beginning, powerful man, strong, weak. And then he would just go and he would, it would be so intense, like eye contact right up to your face. And you kind of, you, you eventually get to see the actual person instead of yeah. the person that you thought they were. 
And when you were honest about it, we went around the room and went, what do you first think of these people? And it was so fascinating. Like, the, what you so think cold, they, yeah. what they thought, you thought they thought of you was completely wrong and vice versa. And I was like, Richard, I'm sorry, I didn't like you because you reminded me of somebody when I, that I didn't like when I was 15. And I, and I made my mind, I, just, I didn't have a, a positive tint about you. But you, I liked, I liked the look of you because I usually get on well with gay men and they like me. So I thought I'd like you, but you know. And I've already decided, that's, so that's. that's I've already decided that you're going to yeah. be one of my friends. Yeah. And that's, that's mad, isn't it? We do that yeah. all the time. First impressions is such an important thing, but I think it's bullshit. You've always got to make a good first impression. No, well, it takes time to see somebody for, for their true self. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of the biggest revelations in my life, that is, is I can't deal with small talk. That's why I hate parties. Yeah. And, and I always found myself in a corner having a deep conversations because that's what I need is yeah. that connection, is that yeah. human contact. I really relate to that, to be honest, because I'm quite an outgoing guy. really love seeing people, being with people, engaging with people. Don't really love being in quarantine. Don't really love being kind of away from friends and family constantly. But similar to you, yeah, I'm not one for, I don't know. I I, I really love getting into the meat of a conversation pretty quick. You know, I'm quite happy to set up on a couch with a bottle of red wine, 20 cigarettes and a deep meaty chat to just like sink my teeth. Yeah, doesn't it just? Apart from the cigarettes, because I've quit and I really do need to quit this time. That's (laughs) that's the end of that. Um, Thank you. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to chat about, um, or one of the last things, and then I'll let you go get on about your day, um, was we've started at the end. I'd quite like to go back to the beginning because when you, I heard you tell this story, I found it immensely empowering. I think that people listening to the show would find it immensely empowering as well. Um, 2009 was a very different time for you. When I heard you speak about it, well, I'll let you do the talking, but it sounded really eloquent. And you found yourself on a balcony with one foot off the edge. And something stopped you from taking the second foot off the edge. And when you described it um, on air, I found that really interesting. So if you didn't mind sharing that story, Mm. I'd love to hear kind of what happened to stop you. Okay. Um, Well, yeah, like you say, 10, just over 10 years ago, I was going through a very difficult time. Uh, It built up over a few years. Um, Lots to do with purpose, lots to do with, not knowing the person I was, a suppression of my true self, my environment, uh, failure. Um, uh, and I would, I would see myself in a abyss of no return, really, at most of the time. And I wanted to have a make or break kind of holiday break before Christmas because I was, at that time I broke up with my girlfriend a few months before um, and then didn't have lots of friends that I thought I had because uh, they were her friends and found myself like I pushed myself away from lots of people, had an apartment on my own and I started drinking very heavily. And then I needed a break. So I, uh, my parents um, always had this small apartment in the south of Spain in Ben Madna, And um, it was always a bit of a sanctuary. Um, so I thought I'd, I would go there, eat good Spanish food, get some sunshine and and just kind of sort my head out, not drink, get some exercise in, start running. And then it turned out to be uh, the exact opposite of that, where it was the worst rainfall in Spain, that part of Spain for 20 odd years. <laughs> the heating obviously is non-existent in Spain. So there's like gas heater next to me. The TV didn't work. So I didn't have any, you know, obviously phones weren't a thing then. I didn't have like, 
social media and all that to keep myself up, occupied. I was just in my own thoughts, which was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started drinking whiskey because it was the cheapest thing I could buy from the local store. And, and I was just drinking heavily. I'd go out a lot. The measures in Spain were ex- you know, extremely potent. Um, it was one night um, when I got there. Uh, two nights in, I did one good day. It's the second night. Um, you know when you buy five pints of Guinness, you get a toy? I woke up in the morning with enough toys to fill Toys R Us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like hats and glasses and little key rings. I was like, fuck it. Sponsored by Guinness. <laughs> yeah, my depression brought to you by Guinness. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, God. Uh, and, and then it just slowly unraveled and I slowly just started to accept the fact that I just couldn't see another way. I just couldn't see um, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the, the, the language that I was using um, towards myself was so violent and so derogatory and so oh. mean simply because I was telling myself, what are you moaning about? Why are you doing this? You've got a good family. You know, you, 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 you shouldn't be like this. And I just thought I was cursed. I genuinely thought that there was a Johnson family curse that somebody put on us that I was going to feel this way forever. And it was painful. It was so, so horrifically painful. And it was just all there. Like I knew I was a fit and healthy man and you know, there's people dying of cancer and horrible things. And there's actual people with proper mental health issues. And I'm just, just in this thing. And I just couldn't see any way out of it. And I started thinking logically about taking my own life. And, and you literally, I literally, I don't want to give anybody a manual for, for this now, but like, you know, you think of all the different ways. So you try with certain things. And I woke up one morning with sick everywhere. Um, cause that didn't work. And then I thought of bread knife and I didn't have the guts for that or couldn't. And, and, and then I was on the fourth floor of the balcony and you're like, would it just maim me? Would it, what? And you think, fucking hell. And I just started drinking a lot that night and I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I found myself on like a, in the evening, um, like with my leg up and for, for, for whatever reason, and I've tried my best to kind of recollect because I'm in a drunken blitz. It's very sobering as well when you do something like that. <laughs> And, and don't do it because the, the, the feeling that I had, and, I, and I've explored this a lot now because it's, 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 it's to do with feeling, mm. it's to do with adrenaline, it's, it's to do with purpose and just a, a natural high, which is being in control. Mm. And the moment that I was there, it was like I was on a roller coaster, like a theme park, like that jump that rush that fight and i'm scared of heights as well so that would have helped and it's just i hadn't felt anything for quite some time because i'd suppressed it with alcohol and just listening to purple rain on repeat and jeff buckley and and i that's never good for your mental health i wouldn't do that and that <laughs> hallelujah song is not great for your mental health if you're in a bad spot avoid it at all costs and i and I, and I was in that moment and I felt in control and I hadn't felt in control for a long time. And that buzz made me feel something. It made me feel alive and maybe go, fuck, I don't want to do this. And I didn't do it. And I cried because for two, so many reasons, um, it was a relief. 
And I was also furious and disappointed that I had to carry on with this thing called life because I didn't want to do the other thing. I'd given myself plenty of chances. I tried and didn't, and I couldn't do it. And, and it, was, it was like, oh, for Christ's sake, I've got to go and get up every day and do something. Um, and then that was the 23rd of December. I came back then on Christmas Eve um, to my family. And it was a really emotional Christmas, that for me, because they didn't know. Mm-hmm. They didn't know at all. The dog knew. Louis the dog knew, followed me everywhere, even into the bathroom. Every morning, wake up, he was in my face. He absolutely knew I was going through a shit time. That's amazing. And I remember just like thinking, thank God it's this time of the year because it's the new year and mm. you can start afresh. Uh, I remember going out that New Year's Eve with my friend Griff and he made me the best bacon sandwich. He's a vegetarian. The best bacon <laughs> sandwich I've ever had in my entire life the next morning. I felt like he knew I was going through a shit time. We went out to Revol- Vodka Revolution in Cardiff and got absolutely wanked to the point we like walking <laughs> around with a bottle and like, oh yeah, kiss me. Um, <laughs> and it didn't work. And, and I woke up and I was just like, I was in his spare room and I had a, like a, that beautiful bacon sandwich and with ketchup in it. And I remember just tasting it. And it reminded me of, this is a scene in um, the Johnny Cash story by Joaquin Phoenix, where he comes out of his state. He's in that wooden house that they have made for him. And all, um, his Jude's parents are there shooting off people trying to give him drugs. And he wakes up out of his haze and she feeds him fruit. And he's like chewing on his raspberries going, oh my God, I can taste something. And if that was my bacon sandwich. That was your and bacon. he was just like, this is it. So then I, I, I think, weirdly, I, I looked at this the other day. I, I learned to drive intensely. I was learning for a few off and on days and stuff like that. In 10, I think it was 12 days, I set myself a challenge of passing my driver's test. I already mm. did my um, theory. I learned, I did like intense lessons over like a few, like hour, two hour lessons. I passed my test in 12 days, signed up to do the London Marathon for Mind. Um, that was my kind of like silent waving flag going, mental health. Yeah. I raised money. For, I did the London Marathon in the April, which is so hard. And, <laughs> but then the training got me through it. I was more sociable. I started to connect with people again. And like I said, that year then was my this morning year. And it kind of snowballed from that. It just genuinely felt like I hit the absolute rock bottom of mental health and to the point where another inch on the scale is oblivion. Games, yeah. And and it's it's so weird talking about it. And it's (laughs) in in the sense that it doesn't feel like it was me. Uh, And it's it's my story to tell, so I can tell it in every way I can possibly can. And and it does sometimes come out funny, funny. Because it just doesn't feel like that that ever happened. But it, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's I know exactly weird, what you mean. I'm trying not to interrupt, thing. but yeah, the, the, like I can't, um, I can't say thank you enough for sharing that, man. That's just such a, obviously it's your lived experience, so it's the truth. So what am I trying to say? Yeah, it's, it's, it's what happened. It's the truth. It's, it's reality. But also the way you mm. deliver it and the verbiage you use around it um, mm. is so massively relatable to so many people and also just it's the power of words you know it's the way that you describe the steps you went through I actually think is massively beneficial to a lot of um guys and girls out there but especially guys um Mm. so Matt thanks so much for 
Thanks oh, it's so my much pleasure. I think it's worth saying as well, like, um, this is at a time when I had a regular job as a journalist at a news station, you know, mm. um, um, 26 grand a year. And there wasn't any sort of this morning stuff. It was, and, and I think that's what makes it really an urgent need for me to, to try and help men as you are doing, because like all the, the, the good stuff in life were all there on paper. And it still didn't help. It still was affecting my mental health. And it was still to do with purpose. Like I, for years, tried to make it into this big existential, big thing that I had. And it was just, well, no, I was just a normal lad that made decisions not based on what I wanted to do and found myself lost. And, and then because of the stigma attached to vulnerability, weakness, and the... Uh, and the, the subconscious voice is telling me, you've got nothing to be depressed about. That really got me and that nearly took me out. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's not like a big drama. Life isn't a movie where you're on, on top of a hotel because you're a rock star and you're thinking of doing it. It's just, it can happen to any lad. And I'm a lad from Kafili, and I think that's what's happening. It's, you know, y- your, your mental health actually is massively important and and the fact that people just say oh it's only me i don't know what this is i'm just going to end it sod mm. it that's what i felt like ah oh, fuck it I, I, I can't stand it it's just nonsense and you know the, the the moment i start taking that seriously was the moment that changed everything for me mate that's amazing and i also think that's a, that's a perfect place for us to wrap up and I would also like to, you may, maybe you remember saying this, maybe you don't, but um, I read an interview where you said the process is the paradise and that's fucking mm. great sentiment to, um, to wrap up on because I think that, yeah, that's the truth and yeah. the process is the paradise. We're not, we're not trying to reach a finish line here. Constantly, having goals is very important, but living in the moment is, is the most important thing. Wicked. Right, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. brother. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much. Nice Thank to you. see you. You've been listening to XY with Matt Johnson and me, your host, Ewan Plater. Thanks so much for tuning into that episode. I think of all the episodes that I've recorded, this is definitely one of my favourites. As I said in the intro, Matt speaks on his lived experience with an eloquence and uh, honesty that um, I really related to and I really appreciated him sharing his truth. See you next week. <laughs>